Also, also next week uh, we will be on the 16th of be here and going through the also also see night service. But in two weeks, when we get to the 23rd of December, that Wednesday night, we will not have Wednesday night service, okay? So I want to remind you of that. But we will be having our Christmas Eve family services on the 24th, 4 o'clock and 6 o'clock. We will have a nursery provided for those who desire to use the nursery, but all the kids will be in uh, with us, two family services, 4 and 6. They're going to be candlelight services. And this is actually, I think, the first time I've done a candlelight service. I, I know for many, many years. And one of the reasons I've always been a little bit hesitant is because um, one of my children, who will remain nameless, <laughs> when we were small, um, years ago, when they were just little, we were at a candlelight service and almost burned mom's hair. Um, and so you, you have to be careful, you know. And I'm just one that thinks about those things. Um, especially as, hey, mom, you know, and <laughs> almost got it. And um, so I've always been a little bit hesitant just because of that. So what we're going to do is actually we're going to give the adults the candles, and then the kids are going to have the little tea lights candles they can, they can turn on. So we figure that's going to work. And uh, so that's what we plan on doing, just making it a special service. And so parents, you can, you know, kind of guide which child of yours it's safe to have a candle. So, you know, and the rows are kind of close here, and we're packed out, so we want to be careful. And so if you can give the children just a little tea lights that we're going to have, and then they can take them home, you know, and it's kind of cool for them. They can put it in their room and leave it on all night at Christmas Eve or whatever, and, and um, that's kind of a special thing for them. So that's what we're going to plan on doing for December 24th, 4 and 6 o'clock. Invite somebody out. Sometimes I'll hear um, some... Uh, people say, well, you know, those Christians that are just C&E Christians, um, you know, invite them out. Um, we're going to give the gospel, invite people out that don't have a church, uh, invite those that are more open to going to church, because the holiday season is, is a great uh, opportunity for people to come to the Lord, and we see a number of people come to the Lord uh, during this time. And so be sensitive to that. Be praying about who you would invite uh, for Christmas Eve service. So that's 4 o'clock and 6 o'clock on December 24th. And then when it comes to December the 30th, Wednesday night, we're not going to have a Wednesday night service, but on December 31st, we're going to have our New Year's Eve uh, service at 7 o'clock, and we're going to do our annual prophecy update. And so just as we're going to be celebrating Jesus' first coming, uh, we're going to be also talking about his second coming in the prophecy update, 7 o'clock. Again, invite somebody out. Uh, there's a lot of things that are taking place in the world today that point to the soon return of Jesus Christ. I love what we're singing tonight, Come, Lord Jesus. And that is, you know, my prayer, and I know it's your prayer as well. And, um, and I love where we sing, A Church That Is Ready. And I want us as a church, as we're commanded to be looking and, and watching and ready and to occupy till he comes, but be looking for the Lord's return. And I always want to have that before you. There are many Christians is interesting that are emailing me as they hear us on the radio or as they talk to me on Calvary Live, they have absolutely no idea about end-time prophecy. And they are not being taught that uh, in their churches or being told it's not important to know. And it is very important to be discerning in the days in which we're living in. It was Jesus that rebuked the religious leaders because he said you can discern the weather, but you cannot discern the coming of the Son of Man. 
And we are to be discerning in the days in which we're living. And we don't know the day or the hour that the Lord comes back, but we can know the seasons that we're in. And we know that as we see the birth pangs that are taking place and those things that are taking place in the world, it's like reading your Bible and reading the newspaper, that we can line it up and we can see that it, you know, the storm clouds are gathering. And we know that things are taking place that point to the soon return of Jesus Christ. When is he coming back? I don't know. But we are commanded to be watching and to be waiting. And, you know, that's the way the Lord wants us to be. He wants us to live every day in the expectancy of the return of the Lord. And we've already seen in the book of Philippians that it is Paul that instructed us on Sunday, you recall, to be eagerly, not just apathetically, but eagerly waiting for the Son's return, to waiting for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, because we're citizens of heaven. And then again, we're going to see in chapter 4 on Sunday that he's going to say the Lord's return is at hand. The Lord is at hand. He's coming back. And so we can rejoice in the Lord and stand fast in the Lord. So all those things we'll talk about on Sunday as we're in Philippians chapter 4, this is exciting times to be a Christian, to be a light to this dark world. And I'll tell you what, there's a lot of fear that's out there today. A lot of people that are afraid. And you might think, well, we got a lot of reasons to be afraid. I want to be one that doesn't have the spirit of fear. And I know fear can come to us. And I know there's concerns and there's things that, that very much we need to be praying for our nation and praying as Christians. But it is also, as we see we're in perilous times, it is also very much of an opportunity, a, a wonderful time for us to be light that storms the darkness and for us to be talking to people about the things of the Lord. I really believe that people are looking for truth in this mixed up, messed up world. And we have opportunity when the world's gone haywire to give them a reasonable answer to tell them this is what the Bible has to say. And you'll find out that people are more interested in it than what we are led to think or believe at times. So I want you to be wise. I want us to talk about those things. We're going to be looking at Isaiah 17, Jeremiah 49. We're going to be looking at some of those passages that speak of what's going to take place, um, you know, uh, that surround and are connected to the return of the Lord. So looking forward to that on New Year's Eve. And then after that, we'll be back to our Wednesday nights, finishing up Psalms and then going into Proverbs and then continuing through the poetic books. So continue to come out on Wednesday nights as we go through the Old Testament. As soon as we're done with the poetic books, we'll be going into the books of the prophets and uh, Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. So we should be able to finish all that within a year, right? Two years. So, um, but we're going to just travel through the scriptures. And Father, I just pray that as we now go into Psalm 92, that you would just bless this time in the study of your word. It's a very special time of the year. And um, Lord, I thank you for parents who brought cookies uh, today for the kids to be able to get trays together and their service projects that they're doing. And I know it's going to be a blessing to uh, the, the uh, sheriff's office, to the deputies and those who work in the jail as we take them down tomorrow and, and just uh, to be able to visit with them and encourage them. And Lord, uh, I pray that um, we would tonight just be encouraged in your word. And Lord, teach us and guide us in everything. And Lord, I pray that our hearts would be soft and our, our 
eyes open or ears open to you because we're at the end of the day and I know that many of us are tired and perhaps some haven't even eaten dinner. But Lord, help us to take in your word and be blessed and be instructed. And, uh, and Lord, just uh, be encouraged and comforted. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So Psalm 92, the title reads, A Psalm, A Song for the Sabbath Day. And we read that it is good to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your loving kindness in the morning and your faithfulness every night. And so the psalmist, as he begins to write this psalm, he says right off the bat that it is good. In other words, it is right. It should be a priority in our lives. This should be something that's very important for us to do. And then he says four things for us to do. It is good. It is right. It should be a priority in our lives to, number one, give thanks to the Lord. And we've been talking a lot about being thankful as a Christian. And I want to just kind of keep reminding us of that because what can happen over time, particularly as we meet the challenges or we go through the difficulties, that we can stop being thankful. And as Christians, we always have a reason to be thankful. And what the Lord has done for us and saving us and forgiving us. And so as we have been talking about that a thankful heart is going to lead to a joyful heart that's going to lead to a praising heart. And all those things are connected together. You see, if you lose your thankfulness, then you're going to be murmuring and complaining. And you're not going to have that joy. It's going to rob you of your joy. And you're not going to be praising the Lord. So what we have seen, as, as we've been discussing on Sunday mornings in the book of Philippians, because the theme of Philippians is joy, but also going through the Psalms, that those three things are connected together. May we as Christians always remember that we are to be thankful in all things. That's the will of God. That's what Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica. But to be thankful, which will lead to us being joyful, and then lead to us be praising him as well. So that's the second thing. As we give thanks to the Lord, the psalmist writes, second of all, to praise him. And there are reasons for us to praise the Lord for who he is, how great our God is, and, and how he is one that uh, loves us and, and desires to work in our lives. So we are thankful to him. We praise him. And then thirdly, to declare his loving kindness. And it is good to declare how God loves us, how he proved his love for us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And in God, he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so the love of God is so incredible. Remember recently as we were going through the book of Ephesians that as Paul's talking about our dead state, but because of his great love towards us, remember this, that God is love. And he loves us perfectly, and his love for us is indescribable and unsearchable and infinite, and his love is great. So we have reason to give thanks to the Lord, to second of all praise him, to declare his loving kindness. And that's what I hope that we do, that we declare God's love for people, that he loved us so much that he sent his son to die for us. And people need to hear that message and then also to declare his faithfulness. Every night, as the psalmist says, and the idea is that the Lord, at the end of the day, that he is faithful to you and to me. And in our lives, he is faithful. He is faithful to keep his promises to us. He is faithful in his word to us. And he is faithful, as we saw in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, 
to complete that which he has begun in us. And at the end of our lives, we're going to say, Lord, you're so faithful. And we may not understand what God is doing in our lives at times as, as we face the challenges or we end up, you know, confused or scared or whatever. But know this, that he is going to be faithful to you and he's going to be faithful to me and he's going to be faithful to Calvary Chapel Greeley. And I can rest in that and I can praise him for that. So here the psalmist is saying, this is important, it is good to do these four things, give thanks to the Lord, to praise Him, declare His loving kindness, and then declare His faithfulness. We continue reading in verse 3, on the instrument of ten strings, and on the lute and on the harp, with harmonious sound. For you, Lord, have made me glad through your work, and I will triumph in the works of your hands. Uh, I think that all of us desire to have a gladness of heart to be glad. And how is it that we can be glad? Well, as we remember the works of the Lord, the work that he's done in us, how he's made us, and he made us, and now he has saved us. We're a new creation in Christ, and he desires to work in us and then through us, and that gives us a gladness of heart. But a gladness of heart also comes by doing these four things that are in verses one and two that we just talked about. And I think all of us want a gladness of heart. And so the psalmist is speaking about that. And then as we continue in verse 5, O Lord, how great are your works. Your thoughts are very deep. You know, have you ever heard somebody, uh, you know, speak and you think, man, that's really deep, you know, what you're saying. Well, the Lord, uh, his thoughts and his ways are much higher than our ways. His thoughts are much deeper than our thoughts. His, his thoughts are very deep and a senseless man does not know, nor does a fool understand this. When the wicked spring up like grass and when all the workers of iniquity flourish, it is that they may be destroyed forever. So the Lord begins to, to talk about the wicked, the one who doesn't know God, uh, the one who doesn't know the way of God and his works, that they're foolish and, and they're fools because they don't understand. And we read in verse 8, but you, Lord, are on high forevermore, for behold your enemies... O Lord, for behold, your enemies shall perish, and all the workers of iniquity shall be scattered. So the Lord is the one that's on the throne, that he is on high forevermore. That's what it means. When you read that, he's on high, and we're going to see it in the next uh, psalm, that the psalmist says the same thing. It means that he's in control. He's on the throne. Sometimes we wonder, Lord, are you still on the throne? When we see what's going on around the world. When we see the, the, the problems that plague this world, our nations, or even your own world, we think, Lord, are you still on the throne? Are you still in control? He still is. And we can be established in that, and we can know that this Bible declares that he is, even as this psalmist declares it. In verse 10, but my horn you have exalted like a wild ox. I've been anointed with fresh oil. My eyes also has seen my desire on my enemies. My ears hear my desire on the wicked who rise up against me. And the righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bear fruit in old age, and they shall be fresh and flourishing to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him." Uh, remember that the wicked, and, and here as the psalmist is talking about the wicked, the, the one who's in rebellion against God, that he says that their works will be destroyed, verse 7, that they shall be scattered, verse 9, as we read, 
and he's going to deal with them, verse 11. But I like this section of verses 10 through 15 for you and for me because there's a number of things that are here that are worth considering tonight as we make application because he says, I have been anointed with fresh oil. I know for me that my prayer is, Lord, I want to just, I want to be filled with your spirit. Oil in the Old Testament speaks of the Holy Spirit. And I want just a fresh filling of you, of your spirit each and every day, Lord. I I don't want to just get stagnant. You know, Jesus would say that if you thirst, come to me and drink, and out of your innermost will flow torrents of living water, of course, speaking of the Holy Spirit. And the Lord desires to just continually fill us with the Spirit, and that's what I want. You read in the book of Acts that they were filled with the Spirit. They were filled with the Spirit. They were filled with the Spirit. And Lord, I just want to be refreshed and renewed in you. I don't want to be stagnant. I I want you to, Lord, just that fresh anointing each and every day so I can be the man of God that you've called me to be. I can be the husband you've called me to be, the father you've called me to be, and the pastor that you've called me to be. And that should be a prayer of ours. Lord, just fill me. Fill me each and every day to overflowing. Because as you fill me, then outflowing is going to be, you know, you're uh, working in my life and through me to others, to be a blessing to others. And so we desire for that. We should be praying for that and remember to pray for that. But I also like what the psalmist writes here, that the righteous, as he spoke about the wicked, hey, they're uh, going to uh, be destroyed, remember, and they're going to be scattered, and, and I'm going to deal with them. But the righteous is going to flourish, and that's a promise for you and for me, and flourish like a palm tree. Now, if any of us have been to, you know, warm area of the country, Florida or Southern California, you see a palm tree is very, you know, uh, very green, and it's wonderful, and, and it flourishes. And then he talks about he shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. You know what's interesting about the cedars, and we read about how when they were building the first temple, Solomon's temple, that it was Solomon that made, um, you know, uh, uh, agreement with Hiram, the, the king of Tyre, to use those big cedar trees for the building of the temple and also for the building of his palace. And they would cut those big cedar trees up in Lebanon. They're very tall. They're, they're almost in comparison to where we have certain cedar trees here in the United States in the Northwest, hemlocks and redwood trees. Uh, Here in Colorado, we have what's called Engelman spruce up in the high country. And the interesting thing about cedars and what they did in building the first temple is they cut those big, you know, trees down and they, they put them down along the shore of the ocean to Joppa and then they brought them in. So it was quite a project that they did. But the big big cedar trees, the big redwood trees. And I know that many of you have been out to see the redwoods. They're magnificent, aren't they? But here's the interesting thing, that redwoods, cedars, as you look at hemlocks, Engelman spruce here in Colorado, they're big and, and they grow uh, large and uh, huge trunks and um, they live for a long time, but they have a very shallow root system. And particularly if you go to see the redwoods. You know, some of those redwoods are uh, over 350 feet high. That's a tall tree. But as they are in that grove, their their roots kind of intertwine with each other, interlock with each other, and that's what gives them strength. 
That's what gives them stability when the winds come blowing off the, the ocean and along the coast there of California to the redwoods or you know, up here in the mountains, we get the high winds. We've been hearing about high wind warnings up in the high country even this week. And, and those Engelman spruce, they have a shallow root system. And, and, and once in a while, they'll blow over. That's why those of us who like to tromp in the back country, sometimes it's difficult because those big Engelman spruce blow over. But what happens is when they're interlocked, their roots, that's where strength is. You're saying, why are you giving us a dendrochronology lesson, Pastor Jeff. The reason is this, so we can make application. That the one who's righteous, the one who is learning of the Lord, the one who is giving thanks to the Lord and praising Him and declaring His loving kindness and declaring His faithfulness, that you're going to be, you know, strong like a palm tree. You're going to flourish. You're going to be like the cedars, those who are planted, notice verse 13, in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of God. Here's the thing. I commend you guys so much for coming out on a Wednesday night. And it's really important for us to continue to be in fellowship, to be with other brothers and sisters in the Lord, to be with believers because there's strength there. And as we are together here, we can be encouraged and blessed. And I just want to to encourage you to continue to come out when you can, Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights. And listen, if you miss or you don't go to church, it isn't that God stops loving you or you're not a Christian anymore. It isn't any of those things. But what happens is you miss out. You miss out on tremendous blessing. And you miss out on just getting to develop those relationships that are very important for us as the body of Christ and their strength that is there and you will begin to flourish. Listen, I've talked to people and they love the Lord. I know they do. And they are Christians and they're designed to live for the Lord. But there is something in them that you begin to see over time that they begin to struggle spiritually. And what happens is that wood, redwood tree, I've seen it happen. It ends out on, out on its own that eventually pretty soon the wind's going to blow it over. And the enemy knows that if he can isolate any of us away from brothers and sisters of the Lord, that he has more of an opportunity to really begin to beat us up and to really discourage us. There's a purpose of being a part of the body of Christ. And one of those purposes is to serve one another in the spiritual gifts, as we saw in the book of Ephesians, but also that we can benefit and flourish from it. And so, you know, continue to come out and be blessed and be a part of the body of Christ, especially in the day in which we're living in, how we need that, because the world is really messy out there. And it's awful, and it's getting darker and more evil out there. And may this be a place where we can come and flourish as we are just caring for each other, praying for each other, loving on one another. And, and then also they shall bear fruit in old age and they shall be fresh and, and flourishing. You know, one of the things that I think I don't say enough of is how much I appreciate those of us who are older because I'm getting older. But for you who are older that keep coming to church, and the reason that I say that, it's a blessing to see the young people that are here, so many young people that are here. Don't they bring life to the church? And they are the church, and they're going to be the future of the church. 
but also for you who are older and, and as you come, it, it just blesses me to see that. You see, I know this to be true in my own life, and I have to be careful that as we do get older, and me being in my 50s, and, but as I continue to get older and as we do, what can happen is we can become cynical in some ways. We can become critical. And, oh, I've been going to church for 30 years. I don't need to go anymore. Or, you know, I, I've served the Lord all this time, and I don't need to do that anymore. And I know that there's different seasons of our lives spiritually. But here's the thing. You guys that come out, it blesses me to see that. And it's an encouragement to me and to my family that you continue to come and 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 be here, and you have so much wisdom to give, and I know that they shall bear fruit in old age, and they shall be fresh and flourishing. It blesses me to see my mom, who's in her 80s, just serving the Lord and being here, you know, on Wednesday nights and Sundays, and we have people in their 80s, and those in their 70s and 60s, and in their 50s like me, and continue to do that, continue to be in church, continue to be a part of believers. And I know that sometimes our health may prevent us from doing that, but as much as you can, may we always realize how much of a blessing and how it benefits us spiritually to belong to the body of Christ, whether you're young or whether you are older. So they shall be fresh and flourishing. And I think all of us want that. And to declare the Lord is upright, and he is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. He is perfectly righteous. He is perfectly holy. He is perfectly pure, our Lord. And the day is going to come where we're going to be all together, and we will say righteous and true are you, Lord. Righteous and true are you, perfectly righteous. There is no unrighteousness in him. Well, Psalm 93, that the Lord reigns, he is clothed with majesty. The Lord is clothed. He has girded himself with strength, and surely the world is established, so it cannot be moved. So Psalm 93, we read that as it's going to be a psalm that's speaking of the majesty of God and how he's going to rule the earth. And we know that the Lord, when he comes back uh, in the second coming of Jesus Christ, that he will rule and reign over all the nations and over the earth. And here is speaking of the, the eternal reign of the Lord, clothed with majesty. The Lord is clothed. He has girded himself with strength. And as I was thinking about that, I couldn't help but think about Jesus' first coming, our Lord. That he girded himself with a towel in that upper room. And he washed the feet of the disciples. And he did it right before he went to the cross. The king of all kings, the lord of all lords, girded himself with the towel, the one who was about ready to go through tremendous suffering and death for us, and he washed the disciples' feet. And then he said that I've done this as an example for you, that this is what you're to do to one another. And he showed us that that's what you and I are to be about, to be ones that are serving others and helping others, that it is about others. It isn't just about us. And of course, we have seen that in the book of Philippians, that as Paul the Apostle would say, that we're looking out not only for our own interests, but the interests of others. We're to esteem others better than ourselves. And Christianity is about others, to be other-centered, be Christ-centered. And Jesus gave us an example. So I pray that we would be ones, that we would continue to serve one another, 
It may be serving as you're praying for people. It may be serving in practical ways, serving in the body of Christ and the gifts that he's given to you and opportunities that open before you. He desires for us to serve one another. So here's the Lord. He girded himself with a towel, but the time's going to come when he comes back. He's going to gird himself with strength, and the world is established so it cannot be moved. And your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. And so we know that his throne is established, just as we talked about in the previous psalm. Always remember that, that he is on the throne. You see, Jesus went to the cross for us. And then he cried out, it is finished. And he breathed his last. And he was taken down from the cross. He was put into that tomb. And he rose again after three days, right? And so he validated in who he is, the Lord of all lords and the King of all kings, the Son of God, validated the work that he did on the cross. He conquered sin and death. So the cross is empty. He was taken down. He cried out, I've done the work. And the tomb is empty. He rose from the grave. But he's on the throne. And his throne is established. And that's good news for you and for me as believers. And then the floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their waves. The Lord on high is mightier than the noise of many waters, than the mighty waves of the sea. So speaking again of the majesty of the Lord, the Lord will reign on high. God's throne is established. The raging seas are often used actually as a symbol of the rise and fall of nations. But I also want to bring it home a little bit closer to us in verses 3 and 4. When the floods have lifted up, the floods have lifted up their voice. Verse 4, the Lord on high is mightier. Will you remember that? When the floods of adversity and the floods of difficulty begin to rise up against you, know this, that the Lord is mightier. The disciples are in a boat, you know the story, and there's a storm, and they're very much afraid, and, and they're rowing against the, the waves, and it's in the middle of the night, and all of a sudden they see somebody come walking out on the water to them, and they were afraid initially. They said it's a ghost, but it was Jesus that called out to them and said, don't be afraid. And it was Peter, that Peter, that he said, if it is you, Lord, command me to, to, to come out on the water, and Jesus said, come. Do you know that's always the invitation of our Lord, to come? When you're in stormy seas, to come to him as he calls out to you. And Peter stepped out of that boat, and he's walking on the water, the, the only man besides Jesus to walk on the water, and, and he's walking. But all of a sudden, he noticed that the waves are crashing against him, and the wind's blowing in his face, and, and he becomes afraid, and he begins to sink. And he cries out, Lord, save me. And the Lord reached down with his hands and pulled Peter out of the Sea of Galilee and plopped him back into the boat. Here's the key for you and for me. When the floods rise up and the difficulties and the winds of adversity blow against us, this is what we're supposed to do, keep our eyes on the Lord. Because what can happen is we get our eyes on the circumstances and on the difficulties and on the problems, and that's a very natural thing to do. It is for me. When I'm going through a tough time or a problem arises or it seems like everything's just kind of 
you know, beaten against me and the floods of, of, of you know, uh, all these uh, things and challenges that come my way, I can get overwhelmed. And when I get overwhelmed, I become anxious because I'm so focused on that rather than getting my eyes on the Lord and saying, Lord, you are mightier than all that. You're on the throne. Your throne is established. And when I begin to get my focus on the Lord and my, my meditation on the Lord and my prayers to the Lord and my praise to the Lord, He begins to bring a peace into my heart and into the situation. And so it's important for us to remember this, that the Lord on high is mightier. And then in verse 5, your testimonies are very sure. Holiness adorns your house, O Lord, forever. You guys know this to be true. Your testimonies are very sure. Not kind of sure. Your word, Lord, is maybe sure. We don't read the Bible and we read a command or a principle or a truth or a precept in the scriptures and we say, well, maybe this isn't for me. His testimonies are sure. In other words, they are true for you and for me. And that is my prayer that we would continue to not only know the word of God, but apply it in our lives because the Lord wants so much for us. He wants us to experience that abundant life. He wants us to do well. He wants us to have that peace and that rest and the joy and gladness of heart because we are trusting in his ways and knowing that his ways are true and his ways are good for us. There's a lot of worldly ways that are told that we are to do. But you and I as Christians, we can honestly say from Genesis to Revelation, your word is true, Lord. Your word is true because we believe not only in the inspiration of the scriptures and the authority of the scriptures, but the sufficiency of God's word in our lives to guide us in every area of our lives. Amen? Because there's a lot of things that are out there that come in contrary to God's word that comes into the church or into our lives that maybe sounds good. But God's testimonies, his word is sure and true for you and for me. And if it contradicts what God's word has to say, we are to take it and put it aside. The world's philosophies and ways are changing constantly, but God's word is sure for you and for me, even as we read it tonight. And so Psalm 94, Psalm 94, this psalm deals with the wicked who seems to prosper and the just who suffer. The psalmist writes, O Lord God, to whom vengeance belongs, O God, to whom vengeance belongs, shine forth. Rise up, O judge the earth. Render punishment to the proud. Lord, how long will the wicked, how long will the wicked triumph? We can feel that way, can't we? How long, Lord, is this going to go on? How long are we going to see all the, the ugliness and, and the killings and the death and everything that, that we see all around us in the news and it concerns us? How long, Lord, is this going to go on? And we can ask this. It reminds me a little bit of what's in the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 6, verse 10, that it was um, the tribulation saints that are crying out, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? That term, those who dwell on the earth, is a term for unbelievers. As they're being persecuted, as uh, the world comes against them. But you see, that's in chapter 6. And then in chapter 19, right before the second coming of Jesus Christ, as I mentioned to you, that all the saints are saying, righteous and true, 
are you, Lord, righteous and true? Are your judgments, your decisions? The Lord says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. And there are times in our lives, what it, as we bring it home a little bit closer, that, that person who's been rotten to you or who has hurt you, and I don't want to diminish or I don't want to minimize the hurt that perhaps you feel or perhaps uh, the you know, uh, things that you've been through that, that really, really cut you deep. But the Lord says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. He is capable of taking care of you and me. And it doesn't mean that we just become a doormat. It doesn't mean that we don't become wise and discerning. It doesn't mean that we can't protect ourselves. But the Lord says, vengeance is mine. And I'll tell you why. Because he says, don't you mess with it because you can't handle it. And oftentimes what happens when we take matters into our own hands, that person has been talking about me or saying lies about me or this person has been rotten to me and I'm going to get back at them and I'm going to see what I can do to really, you know, get even or get at them. What ends up happening is it makes a big mess out of things rather than trusting in the Lord. Again, I'm not saying that we shouldn't be a doormat for people to walk on. We should be wise and discerning, be in a place of safety. Yes, we can do all that things, but allow the Lord. He says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. And he's the one that judges perfectly. And he will. He will take care of us as we continue. But first, he gives a, a description of the unbeliever, of the, the wicked in verse 4. They utter speech and speak insolent things. All the workers of iniquity boast in themselves. They break in pieces your people, O Lord, and afflict your heritage. They slay the widow and the stranger and murder the fatherless. Yet they say the Lord does not see, nor does the God of Jacob understand. Understand you senseless among the people, and, and you fools, when you... Will you be wise? He who planted the ear, shall he not hear? He who formed the eye, shall he not see? He who instructs the nations, shall he not correct? He who teaches man knowledge, the Lord knows the thoughts of man, that they are futile. So we see that this description is they hurt people. They come against those who are in need and take advantage of people. They love to boast in, in, in themselves and and, and think that God doesn't see. And you might be sitting here thinking, yeah, I know people like that. I work with them or even in my own family or in my neighborhood or whatever it might mean for you. Being boastful and prideful. But know this, that they cannot fool an all-knowing God. And the psalmist says that they play the fool and they need to wise up and repent. And the psalmist is warning of the danger that they are in with God. And that's why we can leave it in the Lord's hands. I know for me that as I get older that, that I'm continuing to just learn this more and more in my own life. You know, as, as I look at others, I think, that dirty rat, or, you know, this, you know, drop a bus on their head, Lord, or whatever it is. And I think, don't you see, Lord? Um, and I can get very angry. We can see all the stuff around us and it angers us, the injustice and all the things and what happens in our own lives or people that we care about. And the Lord is showing me that I do see and that I do care. And they need to repent. And that righteous and true are going to be my judgments. 
And that's what the psalmist is, is talking about. This, this is hard sometimes. And blessed is the man whom you instruct, O Lord, and teach out of your law, that you may give him rest from the days of adversity until the pit is dug for the wicked, for the Lord will not cast off his people. I have that underlined. Nor will he forsake his inheritance. But judgment will return to righteousness, and all the upright in heart will follow it. In other words, how do we get rest? Verse 13, the one who knows your ways and trusts in your ways, and he will teach us and instruct us and then bring comfort to us. And as the evildoer rises up against us, the Lord is our help. And listen, the promise to us is he's not going to cast away his people. He's not going to cast us off. He's not going to forsake his inheritance. Who's his inheritance? It's you. Ephesians chapter 1, that, that Paul writes that you may know that, that we are his inheritance. And I think, wow, because previously Paul in chapter 1 of Ephesians, as he talks about the heavenly blessings that we have, that we have an eternal inheritance, the riches of Christ that are ours, an eternal inheritance that is more glorious than we can ever imagine. But then Paul goes on that you may understand that we are his inheritance, you and I. And I think, really, me? Uh, you got the short end in the deal, Lord. But that's how much he loves you and cares for you. And he's not going to forsake his inheritance. And he's not going to cast off his people. So who will rise up for me against the evildoers? Who will stand up for me against the workers of iniquity? Unless the Lord had been my help, my soul would soon have settled in silence. If I say my foot slips, your mercy, O Lord, will hold me up. In the multitude of my anxieties within me, your comfort delight my soul. I have verse 19 also underlined. The multitude of my anxieties. You see, it isn't just one thing that can cause me anxiety. It can be a number of things that causes anxiety. You know, the flood that rises up. And I feel like I'm drowning at times. And you've had seasons of that in your own life where, you know, all these problems, it may be family, it may be work, it may be business, it may be our health, it may be all that combination. But the multitudes of anxieties that come against us and the Lord is the one that desires to bring comfort because he's the God of all comfort who comforts us in all of our tribulations. The true comfort of the Lord. Hey, I'm not going to cast you off. Hey, I see you. Uh, I'm not going to forsake my inheritance. That I am with you. And I want to bring rest to you as you know my ways. And show the throne of iniquity which despises, devises evil by law. Have fellowship with you. In verse 21, they gather together against the life of the righteous. Condemn innocent blood. But the Lord has been my defense. And my God, the rock of my refuge. He's our defense and the rock of our refuge. He has brought on them their own iniquity and shall cut them off in their own wickedness. The Lord our God shall cut them off. They're not getting away with it. They're not getting away with it. And remember Asaph in Psalm 73? That Asaph, that he was just struggling with those who rebel against the Lord, the wicked has seemed to be prospering, and he describes them, and he says, it was too painful for me even to think until I went into the sanctuary of the Lord, and then I realized they're in. And he goes on, and he describes that they will be judged, and that they will come to an end, and it's bad news for them. And that's what we need to remember. They're not getting away. But to pray and commit it to the Lord... 
and to know that the Lord is the one that can judge righteously and true and that he will do that. So the psalmist encouraging us here is he is the God of refuge for the righteous, the one who comforts us and the one who will work on our behalf. And then Psalm 95. Psalm 95 is a psalm, as we read it, of worship. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. And let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. For the Lord is the great God and the great king above all gods. In his hand are the deep places of the earth. And the heights of the hills are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. And, O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hands. And so the psalmist calling us to worship joyfully because we worship a great God, right? And notice, again, the connection between being joyful in verse 1, and then verse 2, being thankful, coming into his presence with thanksgiving. And as we come into this place, we come in into his presence with thanksgiving, and we give a joyful shout to the Lord is what we are to do. And then as the psalmist is saying, he's a great God. Look at the great works that he does. He, he is the one that, that has formed the sea and made it, and his hands formed the dry land. And then, oh, come, let us worship and bow down. This was the first actual contemporary song that, that I learned when I became a Christian. And some of us remember that. Oh, let us worship and bow down. Some of, you, some of us older ones, we remember it. Let us kneel before the Lord our God, our Maker. Amen. So good. For he is our God. I love that song, and I remember saying, wow, Lord. But I want us to know something about worship, because there can be a lot of opinions about worship and stuff. And worship is just having a thankful heart. And worship is an attitude of the heart, I think, that we're to have every single day. And then the psalmist, as he's writing, there's those times of exuberant worship, of joyful to the Lord. Let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. And I love it when we do that, when we're, we're you know, just kind of, uh, the worship tonight was so wonderful, and just worshiping the Lord, and people raising their hands to the Lord, and you know, once in a while I'll get uh, those emails that will come to me and say, you guys don't worship really, truly worship because you sing contemporary worship and you don't sing the old hymns. I have nothing against the old hymns. But I think really, as I see people just in a joyful shout to the Lord and raising their hands to the Lord. But then worship also, oh, come let us and bow down and let us kneel before our Lord, our Maker. That there's those times of just kneeling down and in quietness and bowing down to the Lord. So those times of exuberance, of raising our hands to the Lord and shouting joyfully to the Lord is worship. As well, those times where we bow down and kneel down before Him. And maybe perhaps in your own devotions or in those quiet times, there may be those times where you just kind of kneel before the Lord and you're just worshiping Him. 
And I want to encourage you to even do it here in the sanctuary as we're worshiping. If a song is touching you, to just kneel down or sit down and just worship him. You know, just, just that quietness before the Lord because it's an attitude of the heart. And we are his people. The, we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hands. Today, if you will hear his voice. Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, as in the day of trial in the wilderness. When your fathers tested me, they tried me, though they saw my work. In 40 years, I was grieved with that generation and said, It is a people who go astray in their hearts, and they do not know my ways. So I swore in my wrath that they shall not enter my rest. Now, here the psalmist goes from worship the Lord, bow down before him to give an all of a sudden kind of a warning here. And we are not to harden our hearts to God's word, to be rebellious to his word. And he gives an example of the children of Israel that didn't enter into his rest. And it's an obvious reference to Numbers 13 and 14. You know the story. We've talked about it before. The second year of the Exodus, the children of Israel are told to go into the promised land. You've received the law. You've received the instructions of building the tabernacle. The priests are all in line, the book of Leviticus. You're already as a nation. Now go into the promised land. They came up to Kadesh Berea, to the border of the promised land. They said, we're going to send 12 spies in. And they go in for 40 days, and they come back with great big grapes. Two of them are carrying them on a pole. And they come back, and they said, it's a land flowing with milk and honey. Look at all the fruit. And the people are excited. But 10 of those spies said, but there's a problem. There is giants in the land and huge cities and big walls. And we're but grasshoppers in their sight. And they're going to stomp on us. And our children are going to die in the land. And they cried all night. Let me ask you a question. The two spies that said, so what if there are giants in the land? So what if there's giants in the land? God gave us a promise. He said, let's go in, let's take the land. We'll gobble them up. I think that a lot of you, you know who these two spies were that did that. Joshua and Caleb, right? You can name them. Let me ask you another question. Can any of you name any of the ten other spies? And I'll tell you why this is important to consider. Because those ten other spies didn't leave a legacy. Joshua and Caleb did. And I believe that every single one of you that are parents and grandparents, whoever you are, that you'd like to leave a godly legacy to your family, to your friends, to whoever's linked to you in your life. And the godly legacy that you're going to leave is one who I worship the Lord. My dad, my mom, my uncle, you know, my brother, he was one that, that he loved the Lord. She loved the Lord. Oh, and she believed the word of the Lord and lived it. She wasn't living in rebellion. And that is the one that's going to leave a godly legacy. It's the one who worships the Lord and is living for the Lord and doesn't harden their hearts. And the one that enters into his rest. Joshua had a great legacy. We're talking about him tonight. 
Caleb. He's 85 years old, and he says to Joshua, and they're in the promised land, Moses, 40 years previously, said, I can have that mountain with the giants on it. I want to go after them. That's my mountain. He's 85 years old, and he goes after them. And he takes the mountain. And he has a godly legacy that he leaves. There's mountains that we face. There are walls that are tall. There's difficulties that we come against. We, we trust in the name of the Lord. And we are ones that we walk in his ways. And we have a thankful heart and a joyful heart because he is a great God. And we don't rebel against the Lord. We don't murmur and complain. Remember Paul said, do all things without murmuring and complaining. Why? Because it takes our joy away and our thankfulness away. And you see, to leave a godly legacy is one that I believe the word of the Lord. He will not cast me off. And Lord, give me that fresh anointing and the strength that I need to know your testimony so sure. So Father, we thank you. We thank you for these psalms and your word given to us and to be able to go over these psalms and be encouraged and blessed in your word. And Father, I just pray for tonight that we know that Jesus was taken down from the cross after he said it is finished. The tomb is empty because he rose from the grave. But the throne is established and he's on the throne. And I pray if there is anyone that is here that you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. We talk about gifts at Christmas and there's a free gift, the greatest gift of all in salvation that the Lord desires to give to you as you come in faith. As you realize that the Bible says that the wages of sin is death, that we're all sinners, and that's why Jesus went to the cross. He died for your sins. He was put into a grave and he rose from the grave. He conquered sin and death. He validated what he did on the cross. The tomb is empty and he sits on the throne. He is Lord. And he loves you and the invitation is given to come. To believe in him. Because God loves you so much. That we're saved by grace through faith. That is not of ourselves, it's not of works, it's the gift of God, lest any man should boast. You come in faith recognizing that you're a sinner that needs to repent and turn to Jesus and give your life to him. He loves you, wants to save you, make you a new person, give you a new beginning, to forgive you to bring you into access and right relationship with the Father. It only comes by Jesus, believing in Him. And if that's you tonight, if you're listening on live stream, it isn't about religion, it's about relationship. It isn't about duty, it's about devotion. Will you give your life and your heart to Jesus tonight? And right where you're sitting, you pray, Jesus, I believe you did die for me. I am a sinner. And I thank you for dying for me. And I believe that you are alive. Speak into my heart through your word and 
through your spirit knocking on the door of my heart and I ask that you would be my personal Lord and Savior. Forgive me. Oh, thank you for dying for me and be the Lord of my life. Teach me your ways and help me to grow in your love, to grow in the love and knowledge of Jesus Christ. And thank you for saving me. And if anybody that's here prayed that prayer when we finished the service, why don't you come up and talk with me, tell me the decision you made, but for all of us. May we walk in your ways, Lord, because your ways are true and sure, desiring to leave a godly legacy to those around us because we rest in your promises, walk in your ways. We're men and women that praise you because you are a great God. Bless the rest of our week, Lord. We thank you for the body of Christ here, that we can be refreshed and flourished, <laughs> just as your word says. And so, Lord, take everyone home safely. Help us to be a light wherever we're at tomorrow, to live in your love. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray, and all of God's people said, amen. Would you please stand? I'm here to pray with you if you need prayer tonight.